0: <clears> That's all. The Lord is good. Amen. <clears throat> the Lord
1: is good, Amor I'm the second oldest, and uh, my name is Sam. I'm from Rossville, Georgia. I work at the Bible Baptist Church, and my wife, Autumn, is back there with me. We just got married on June 24th, so we're newlyweds, and uh, I'll tell you what we're loving every minute of it. Thank God so much for his goodness in my life. He sent me a good wife, and uh, he's allowed me to serve, and I'm very thankful for that. Well, my name's Tyler. I'm married to Reba, who's not here this evening, Uh, the the, uh, short one of the group. (laughs) Uh, no, I, I married a wonderful wife uh, from Kansas. Hey, uh, there are good things that come from Kansas. Hey, to that uh, God's out there, but uh, especially a uh, good wife that I found. Uh, thanks to the Lord, but I'm uh, 28 years old, been married almost six years now. The uh, Lord hasn't given us any children yet, but the Lord knows all that. And uh, we're just excited to serve the Lord with my brothers, but also just in the church we're at. Up in Spotsylvania, Virginia, just took the assistant pastor role. I've been hey, there man. almost three weeks
0: now, hey, and uh, just excited to see what the Lord's going to do there as well. Hey, hey, man. Man. I'm Cody. My wife, Alicia, is sitting back over there. And I praise mm-hmm. God for his goodness. I'm I'm the assistant pastor. I say I really know what I am. I just do whatever preacher says to me, <laughs> Uh in Jessup, Georgia, southeast Georgia. And I thank you all so much for letting us come. I I mean this when I say we're honored to be here, and I thank you for your, your graciousness to yes. us. Hey,
1: receive me. Oh Lord, you've done me wrong. I've been out here preaching faithfully. Seems you've left me all alone. So I say ¡Adiós!
0: So That's
1: Yes, Amém
0: that. I thank God for Jesus tonight, don't you? Well, I want to say thank you again, Pastor. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, church, for uh, putting up with us for these three days. We have been looking forward to this meeting. I really mean that. We really have. And I'm so excited to be here. And I'm honored for the opportunity to preach. I thank God. for the call of my life he put to preach and I love, I love preaching I heard somebody say one time there's two kinds of preaching that make you want to preach good preaching and bad preaching and uh, I'll tell you what I'm ready to preach so right. you turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 24 please thank you for your goodness to us I mean good grief I, we rolled into town this afternoon and I feel like y'all treated us like royalty already and I uh, thank you so much for your goodness to us pray for us if you would we, we just want to be a blessing and I, I'll tell you what uh, I told my wife this afternoon, driving over, driving up rather, uh, new churches always make me nervous, just to begin with, because you never know what you're going into, you don't know anybody, and uh, nothing personal, you just it makes me a little nervous, i be honest, it's okay if I move that, preach, okay, and uh, you know, then when we sing at a new church, that makes me more nervous, because we're singing, I don't want to mess the service up, and then when you're preaching at a new church, that's just... That's even more so. And then when you're starting a revival meeting preaching at a new church, that just multiplies it. And uh, so I'm, I'm as nervous as I don't know what, but I'm nervous. And so pray for me tonight. We really each We want to be a blessing. We get in here this afternoon. Your pastor's telling us everything that's going on here at the church and how God's blessing. And uh, that just adds fuel to the fire. I'm ready to go home. I'm already ready to go home and get busy hearing what God's doing here and what a blessing that is. Preacher, do you normally stand when you read your text or do you... Okay, you can remain seated, that's okay. Um, we'll read in Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse number 30, with the Lord's help. The Bible says, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw, and considered it well, I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. When the Lord's up tonight, I want to preach for a little while on a sermon from the slothful. And pray with me. Let's pray together. And- please don't just listen to me pray. Would you please pray with me and ask God to help me? I I don't want to say anything that would hinder anything. I want to be a help to you. And the Lord uh, spoke to my heart a while back earlier this year from this passage. And I just want to preach to you what the Holy Ghost preached to me, if that's okay. And pray with me. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we thank you for the honor it is to be in your house. And Lord, I love church. I do. And I'm so thankful you let us be in church as much as we get to be. And Lord, I'm thankful to be at Friendship Baptist Church tonight in Myrtle Beach. And God... I realize I have nothing to offer these people tonight. I, I am worth nothing. And Lord, I need your help tonight. Lord, I'm calling on you to, to help me to, to speak to these people the message that you laid on my heart. And uh, Lord, I. I know that I can't do anything, but I serve the God that can do anything. And I pray that tonight you'd get glory from this message. May you help your people. And Lord, uh, this week we pray, God, would you just uh, give us what you know we need. And I'm so thankful we serve a God that knows what we need better than even we know what we need. And this week, God, would you be pleased with everything that's said and done. And give Pastor Gordon wisdom as he directs the meeting in and, and this church. Lord, bless us, we pray. Help me as I preach to only say what you want me to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've been I've been told through my life, and I'm only 23. I'm not in a very long life yet, but I've been uh, I was raised pretty well. I, I believe you couldn't have had better parents than I had. I praise God for that. Uh, but I was taught that you learn from the mistakes of others, and uh, that's why middle children like me are so perfect. We look at our older siblings and we learn from their mistakes. I shouldn't have said that because they get to preach the next two nights. But we'll we'll just we'll see what happens there. I'm, I'm honestly I'm just kidding. Uh, but on a serious note, there really is nothing wrong with looking at the mistakes of others and taking wisdom from that and learning something from someone else's failure just as long as we do it in the right spirit, right? I don't want to be critical of anybody and I don't want to say, oh, look what they did. Because always remember what Paul said, by the grace of God, there go I. Any, I remember hearing a story about uh, Adolf Hitler's right-hand man. Uh, in World War II, he was the man that was responsible for uh, concocting all the ways they would uh, murder people and slay innocent millions, and after the war was over, he was being tried for his war crimes, and I remember a man that had survived the Holocaust was sitting on the witness stand, and he looked at that man's eyes, and he said he just felt nothing but a sense of evil, and he couldn't hardly speak, and so the lawyer asked him, what, what's going on? And he said, I realized looking at that man this afternoon that he's just a man, This man was known, he was so fierce, that this man, people standing in line in those concentration camps would literally pass out just from him looking into their eye because he had the power of life and death in his hand. And the man that survived all those years saw saw him sitting there that day and said, he's nothing but a man. And the lawyer said, sir, are you saying that any one of us could have been this man? He said, that's exactly what I'm saying. Any one of us could mess up our life just like the drunk on the street. By the way, just because we're saved by grace doesn't make us any better than anybody else. So we can learn from the mistakes of others just so long as I do it in the right spirit. And always remember this. I will never learn from the mistakes of others until I first learn from my own mistakes. Learn from mistakes. In fact, I'd say it's wise to take counsel from others' failures and mistakes from others' lives And watching others make good and even bad decisions We can get wisdom and counsel from that The goal of the message is to do just that In fact is found in the text Verse 32 says Then I saw and considered it well I looked upon it and received instruction And really that's what I want to do tonight I want to look at this man And learn some things from his life That I hope will be a help and blessing to us in 2023 I want to learn from his mistakes Lest we do the same thing that he did The men that I read after all seem to agree that the man we read of in verse number 30 through verse number 34 is one man. He's described in two ways in verse 30. He's described as slothful and he's described of a man void of understanding. I thought at first glance maybe there were two men, but the people I read after who are much smarter than I seem to agree it's one man, two descriptions of the same man. So for the sake of simplifying the message tonight, we'll just look at this like it's one man, and we'll try to learn something from this man's life. I want to, just kind of by way of introduction, I don't want to take too long, I just want to get through this message, and I hope to say something that'll be a help to your life. I want to look at some things in his life and take note of several things and then by way of message we'll make application to us in this day and time if that's okay. Number one, I want to take a look at his field, this man's field. And if I could use a word to describe this man's field, it would be the word worthy. It was a worthy field. Let me give you a couple things about this field. First of all, this field was priceless. Now, we read in Scripture and we find, our text does not say for sure, but by reading other Scripture around this same time frame in, in Jewish history and, and hearing about tradition and what we learn from Scripture, it's not far-fetched to think and believe that this man's field, his vineyard, has been given to him. He didn't work to buy this field, and it was given to him. And that, If you look through Scripture, that's a common occurrence. Uh, that's why the kinsman redeemer comes into play several times and there in the book of Ruth it's the same kind of issue uh, because fields and vineyards are passed down from generation to generation let me say uh, that was custom and you cannot put a price tag on something that has been handed down from the generation my grandfather he was a preacher for over 50 years and he pastored and traveled in evangelism off and on for all those years I think God used him greatly He, he was my hero still is and uh I don't have one of his Bibles. I hope maybe one day we can all share one of his Bibles but I tell you what i wouldn't take i wouldn't take a million dollars for one of his Bibles before he passed away. He bought me a belt buckle uh it's uh it's silver and it's got uh I think 14 or 24 karat gold around the outside has got my name written on the belt buckle. He bought that for me as one of the last gifts before he passed away. I tell you, I wouldn't take all the money in the world for that. Why? Because it was given to me. This man's field is priceless. You couldn't pay enough money to get this field. It was given to him. It was handed down. And that was the case for this piece of land. It was precious. It was precious. Many a man has made his living off of the work of the field. And in this day and time, that was very common. Many people did that. In fact, my, my in-laws, my, my brother-in-laws are farmers in northern Mississippi, and they, they farm soybeans and, and corn. And uh, so this is a very precious piece of land. Land is very... Hey, if you're going to be a farmer, you need some land. You're not you're not making a living off of one acre. Can I get a witness? You need some land. This is, this is precious land. Now, it's not just a field, and it's not just any old uh, cotton patch or soybean patch, this is a vineyard, and I, I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, but I, I know how to use Google, praise God, and uh, I, was, I was Googling a little bit, I also read in a couple Bible dictionaries I have, just doing a little studying on vineyards to get a little more understanding of what kind of uh, land we're dealing with, and vineyards are, are much more so than any regular farmland, it's much more precious, it's a, it's, there's a massive process that goes into preparing a piece of land to be a vineyard, and, and keeping the vineyard up, and and taking care of this land, vineyards are especially a very delicate and precious piece of land. We find in verse 30, this is a vineyard we 're dealing with here. very precious piece of land. Let me just read this to you. This is from a Bible dictionary I wrote I read just speaking about a vineyard to help us understand how much work goes into this, and what this isn 't just an acre of dirt we 're talking about. this is precious land. I'm going to get ahead of myself, but someone before him has put in so much work to make it what it was. The preparation of a vineyard is the most costly and onerous of all operations of that primitive husbandry in eastern lands. It is in fact the only branch of agriculture which demands any considerable outlay. The vineyard must be carefully enclosed by a permanent fence which is required for no other crop. Large boulders are heaped in long rows like a ruined stone wall. On these rows the vines are trailed to preserve the fruit from the damp. Next a wine press must be made. The grapes must be pressed on the spot lest they should be bruised and injured by convenience to a distance. Then, unless the vineyard adjoins a village, there must be a place for a watchman during the season to guard the parcel. Whether this was a temporary booth or a permanent tower, they used both. It would be a few year process. I read somewhere where maybe even up to 5 or 10 years before this piece of land could become a vineyard before any fruit were harvested from this piece of land. That's a precious piece of land, neighbor. That's pretty important if you ask me. So much work has been poured into this piece of land to make it what it was now for this man to enjoy. We've studied his field. Uh, Secondly, I want to quickly, I want to study his folly. And I think this is where we might receive some wisdom in a minute when we get to the application for our life. But if I could use a word to describe his folly, I would probably use the word lazy. It is a sad story that what was so precious to others was obviously not precious to him. I'll say it this way. Pardon me, I need to get a sip of water. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. It is such a shame that a man who was given so much cared so little. He was lazy in his walk. Look at verse 30. He was known to be slothful. I went by the field of the slothful. That word slothful means treacherous, to be slack or indolent, which is another word for laziness. This man didn't like work. Now, I want to say, y'all might hate me for this, but I told our teen class the other day, I said, I don't, I don't really care who you are. If you just love work, there's something wrong with you, okay? <laughs> now, I'm a, I'm a little, maybe a little lazier than the rest of y'all. And if we got to work, man, I'll do it. We built, a, we built a bathroom addition onto some of our guest houses at our church in the middle of summer in South Georgia. I don't know whose idea that was, but it was terrible. And, uh, you know, by, the, by middle day, you sweated through all your clothes, and it's terrible. Hey, I'll do hard work, but if you love hard work, I don't know, man, just... I don't know. I don't, just go see Dr. Phil or something, okay? I'm just kidding. I get that maybe you don't love to just work. I like doing stuff, but I don't love sweating through my clothes, all right? Just, hate me, sue me if you want, okay? But I just don't love it. So I get that. But there's no excuse for laziness. I mean just plum laziness. He wouldn't get out of the bed and he wouldn't work. And he's been this way for so long that he's known for it, obviously, his work, or lack thereof, has shown what his testimony is. And the word used to describe this man was slothful. The Bible has nothing good to say about slothfulness or laziness. I could give you several scriptures. Let me just read you one or two. Proverbs twelve twenty four: The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. That word tribute means forced labor. Eventually, if you don't get your work done, you'll belong to somebody else. right. Proverbs 15, 19, The way of the slothful man is an hedge of thorns. Ecclesiastes 10, 18, By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of hands the house droppeth through. He was lazy. He was lazy in his walk. The Bible called him slothful. The Bible also called him a man void of understanding. Yeah. Now, uh, at fir- when I was first reading over this, I honestly, and I don't mean to be crude, but I just thought the man was stupid. I thought that's what that meant. He was just, as my dad would say, a couple fries short of a Happy Meal maybe. I don't know. I just thought maybe some things weren't, you know, clicking for the tractor to crank. I don't know. That's what I thought it meant. But studying that phrase, void of understanding, it's honestly, it's worse than being ignorant. It's worse. The word understanding... It means the inner man, the mind, the will, the heart. It's, if you get the idea, this is what makes a man tick. It's much much less to do with our mind and more to do with our heart. It's what drives a man and makes him go that makes him do the things that he does. So it's not so much that Mr. Slothful didn't know what to do or didn't know how to care for a vineyard. It was that he didn't care for the vineyard. He had no... Let me say it this way. Uh, I think this phrase was used... A phrase very similar to it was used in the book of... I believe it was in the book of Nehemiah. It was listing all the people involved in the work of rebuilding the wall. And the the Bible uses this phrase. All the people whose heart stirred them up to work. This man had no heart for the work. He didn't care. He knew he just didn't care. He was lazy in his walk. I got to hurry. He was lazy in his work. Verse 31 says that the field is now grown over with thorns and nettles have covered. The face thereof the wall has been broken down. This man's lack of work has caused a great decay in this piece of property. Because he was lazy and he didn't walk right, his work was neglected. It was his responsibility to care for this land. Yes, it was his job. To, hey, look, nobody else is going to cover for you, big boy. It's your vineyard. Amen. Get it done. Yes. And he, he didn't. He wouldn't. Now, I want to make a note of something here. If you aren't walking right, you will not be working right. That's right. That's right. True. True. Yes. This man's heart has shown itself in his character. or. Again, lack thereof. Thorns in the Word of God is—it's an almost insurmountable object. I'm reading through the Book of Ezekiel right now, and I've been in that portion of Scripture, and uh, I'm not a great reader, so it takes a lot of, lot of uh, focus to understand what's going on in those books and uh, Jeremiah and, and things. And in those those books, there the, the the major prophets. One phrase that's used not a whole lot, but it's used some. To describe a nation that has gone under or a people that is in ruin. You talk about them being grown over with thorns, taken over by thorns. It's a picture or a figure of desolation. Something has been neglected so long that it's it's ruined. It'll never be the same again. And you could think of instances of things like that that you've seen, I can as well. Nettles have the idea of stinging. It's a stinging plant, a burning plant. This is a plant that inflames. It causes much pain and discomfort. Down in South Georgia where uh, Alicia and I live, uh, we live, we're about two hours straight north of Jacksonville, Florida. We are way, way down there. It's uh, probably about the armpit of America. And it's just... Down there where we live, there are these things called sand burrs. And they're from the devils where they are. And you can't walk in your lawn barefoot in South Georgia because you will get stinging nettles on your feet. And I, I made the mistake of doing that when I first moved there. I've never done it again. I got some of those nettles, those sandbirds stuck in my feet. And it hurts. It hurts worse pulling them out than it does when they go in. They sting and they burn. A lady in our church, they have alpacas at their home. They raise alpacas and goats. And uh, they're, probably, they're probably like the, the Beverly Hillbillies. They got it going on, man. And she told me after I preached this message at our church that... They had just had to mow down an entire field of stinging nettles because it was hurting their animals. They were allergic to them and causing them issues. A nettle is something that causes great pain and discomfort. And it springs up everywhere where the the cultivation of land has been neglected. That's where these things spring up. So take note of this. His lack of work has caused the things that spoil from within. There was always a potential of this taking place. We all know that. If any you, You've seen a house that's been run down and left forsaken. And it gets grown over. We all know that this is a potential. We all know that if you leave a piece of land long enough, thorns and nettles and bristles and briars are going to take over the land. We know that. He knew this. Yeah. But he left it. Everyone knows that. He was lazy in his watch. Bible says at the end of verse 31, the stone wall thereof was broken down. Because... It was his responsibility to either watch this piece of land himself or hire someone to do it. And he has failed to do both. So the land just decays and decays and decays. Much like the rest of the work, this work has also been neglected. The wall that for one, for many years, we don't know how long, has been the protection of this land and has kept out thieves and robbers and animals that would spoil this crop, it's been broken down. It's, it's no more. It's no longer able to do its job because the person responsible for keeping up with it has let it go. The very things that once a man took pride in and poured time and money and work and effort, maybe blood into, is now ruined because one man didn't care and left it to be and let let it go. Let it go. Didn't care. Take note of this. These were the measures to guard from the things that spoil from Without. Things that aren't natural to a piece of land but when there's something that's precious and unguarded, thieves and robbers and wild animals come in and take it over. Things that wouldn't normally be there now thrive because the protective walls are gone. They're gone because of neglect. They've taken over, they've had their way and this land is ruined now. Ruined. Slothfulness, carelessness, passiveness, whatever word you want to pin on it, never benefited anyone. Physically, spiritually, or otherwise. It's always caused ruin and destruction. Let's move on. Number three. I want to study his fate. If I could find a word to describe his fate, I would use the word poverty. The Bible tells us in verse 34, So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Because he let this land go to ruin, the Bible tells us that he himself would eventually come to ruin. That's right. As goes the field, so goes the farmer. That's right. As goes the work, so goes the worker. Right. As goes the priority, so goes the person. That's right. That's right. Word poverty in the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about respect and treatment of the poor, people that are. They've had an unfortunate shake at life, if you will, put it that way. But the Bible has nothing good to say about someone who has got themselves into that position. Nothing good. In fact, the Bible condemns someone who has put themselves in that position. The The church, in fact, is commissioned to care for the fatherless and the widow. You understand that like I do. Um... But the Bible has nothing good to say about a man that has let his life go in neglect, and now he's impoverished. It's his fault. Son, you've made your bed, now sleep in it. It is your fault that you're here. Let me give you three things about this, and I'm trying to hurry. His poverty came slowly. The Bible says in verse 33, get a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Just a little. His poverty didn't come in one day like Job's poverty. It wasn't an explosion, if you will, where all day, one day his entire world comes crashing in and crumbling around him and turned upside down and everything is gone in one day. It wasn't an explosion. Listen, it was an erosion. Slowly and slowly and slowly and slowly. A little piece there, a little piece here, a gradual process. Just a little, just a little, just a little, just a little sleep. I'm not going to sleep my life away. Just a little slumber. I'm not going to slumber my life away. Just a little folding of the hands. I'll get back to work eventually. The problem is a little eventually turns into a lot. That's right. That's right came surely. Verse 34, the Bible says, that poverty shall come as one that traveleth. Solomon, the writer here, uses a, a simile to illustrate this point. The picture here is a man who is on a journey. He has a destination in mind, and though he's not there yet, with every second he is getting closer. With every step he gets closer and closer and closer. When I woke up this morning at 8.30, I wasn't in, where we I wasn't in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I was in Jessup, Georgia. But after a little while, I got some things done and got the car loaded. And Alicia and I came driving up Interstate 95. God have mercy. And I didn't get to Myrtle Beach right away, but with every passing minute, my van got closer and closer and closer. And Solomon's saying, you might not be at the destination of poverty yet, but with every day, the clock is ticking. And closer and closer, every minute, the destination is closing. The distance gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And eventually, one day, sloth, you will arrive at destination poverty. That's Came surely. You'll get there. You keep going that direction, eventually you'll get there. It came strongly. He uses another simile, at the end of the verse 34, and I want as an armed man. Another picture shows us just like a, an, armed, an armed villain quickly and effectively takes over his prey. Poverty one day would one day ruin this man's life and come over him before it, when it was too late. Nothing can be done now. Yeah. You're too far down the road. You've missed your shot. You've ruined your chance. The day of reckoning has come. Just a little here and just a little there has now become an inescapable heap of poverty that will crush your life. What does this have to do with us now? What does this a slothful man from two or 3,000 years ago, how does that help Cody Harris in 2023, December 4th? How does that help Friendship Baptist Church? What's the application here? Well, I just want to look over this same idea, and I hope some of these things will help us. I'm not going to be a whole lot longer, I promise you. I want you to know that first of all, we have a field. We have a field God's given us a field. Uh, brother Cody, I'm not a preacher. We well, have a field. You have a field tonight. God's given you a field. Sir, your home is a field. Ma'am, your children are a field. Pastor, this church is your field. Preacher, lost souls are your field. Christian, lost souls are your field.) Friendship Baptist Church, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina is your field. That's right, yes. For my church, it's Jessup, Georgia. For my brother Tyler's church, it's Spotsylvania, Virginia. For my brother Sam, it's Rossville, Georgia and their church. We all have a field. That's right, yes. Your relationship with your spouse is a field. The doctrine for which we stand. By the way, that's why we're independent fundamental Baptists. That's a field that God has given us. The faith that so many have given their life for that I take for granted too often is a field that God has given me. The King James Bible is a field that God has given us. The good gospel music is a field that God has given us. We could go on and on and on and on. I want you to understand, we have a field. God has given us something or many things that He has entrusted in our possession and it is our job to stand for them and fight for them. It's our job to live for them. I'm going to get ahead of myself but if just one person here and one person there just said, you know what Preacher Preacher Gordon, I'm just going to back off a little. Well, that might not hurt too bad but if Brother Deacon so and so and Brother and Sister so and so does the same thing, eventually there's no more Friendship Baptist Church. Why do we need revival? Because all of us at some point someplace in our life has said just a little just a little just a little and now I'm farther away from God than I ever thought I would be we have a field I'm getting so ahead of myself our field is priceless the things that God has given us many, now maybe you've had to fight for some of them but most of the things in our life especially as Americans we're so blessed and I think we're probably to the point where we're maybe a little spoiled too maybe I don't know but we've been so blessed by God and God has given us so many things we didn't pay for them we didn't work for them. Our Heavenly Father has bestowed them on our life. He's entrusted them to our care. And you can't put a price tag on that. You might not be the biggest church in South Carolina, but listen to me, you can't put a price tag on this church right now. You can't. The things that God is doing in this place, are you kidding me? I know of churches that that would do anything to have even half of that going on in their church. Churches twice this size that wish God would move through again and God is working here and God is doing great things you can't put a price tag on that the Bible that that sits on my shelf and collects dust every week because I refuse to read it and spend time with God people gave their life for that book it's priceless the family, the children that God has given you the grandchildren that God has given you example after example comes to mind you can't put a price tag on it it's been given to you Divine blessings, a gift from Almighty God. They're not just prices, they're precious, aren't they? Precious things. We didn't pay for these things, but don't 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 make the mistake. Don't miss it. A price was paid for these things. Maybe I didn't have to pay it but somebody else did. I didn't purchase my redemption, but Jesus Christ did. I didn't burn at the stake for this book, praise God, but somebody did. I didn't spend hours in here building this building and reaching souls and paying for buses, but somebody has. So who's going to stand for it now? Somebody has to. They're precious things, aren't they? Precious things. Thank God help. I want to give example after example. All these things. I hope things are coming to your mind that God has blessed you with. You can't put a price tag on them. They're precious things. I wouldn't sell them for all the money in the world. Precious things. Somebody died so that we could be sitting here on a Monday night. Somebody paid a mighty price so that we can have a Bible, a church, a godly family. These things are precious. Don't take them for granted. Don't take them for granted. Please don't ever take them for granted. We have a field number two. Just like the slothful man, there is a constant danger of folly. There's always a danger of folly. We understand this is always. There's always the propensity for this. There's always a chance for the same thing to happen in our life. I'm not. I'm not a math major whatsoever. Okay, uh, but I'm smart enough to know if you follow the same formula, you're going to get the same result every time. So we know there is always a danger of folly. Don't miss that we better never forget and we better never take our mind off the fact that there is still a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He still is today. He's still looking. He's still looking. There's a danger of folly in our walk. Isn't it so easy to become slothful? it is so easy I hope I'm not the only one it's so easy to just say you know what I'll, I'll read my Bible tomorrow or I'll just I won't read as many chapters or I'll just slack off in prayer or I'll do that just a little just a little we get, it's so easy to get lazy I, the thing that scares me is that you can get lazy and not even realize it until a massive problem has resulted in my laziness it's easy to get slothful we can be void of understanding can't we it's not that we don't know Preacher, I know that there are people all around this church tonight that you come in contact with every day that are on their way to hell. There's people that I meet in Jessup, Georgia every day that I speak with or see driving down the road. And I don't even take account that they're there really. It seems like they're just an extra person in the story of my life. But that's a soul for which Christ died. And I know that. I know that people are dying and going to hell. And, and I know that if I give up, maybe this church won't be here in 20 years. And I, I know that if I stop, who else is going to stop? I know that. I know that. I know that. But do I care? Yes. Pastor Gordon, I know that you need help with some things at church. And I know that you're looking for more bus workers and altar workers and somebody just sit in the amen corner and shout the preacher on and be happy that they're at church. I know you need that. I know there's a need. I know that we're living in the days of a great falling away. I know, I know, I know. But do I care? Do you care tonight? Do you care? I'm not, listen, I I am not... I'm not accusing you of anything. I don't don't even really know you, and I mean that with respect. I am honored to even be here tonight. I promise you, just speaking with your pastor for what, about an hour maybe earlier this afternoon, we we hit it off, and, and God, I think, has made our hearts together. I praise God for that. I don't even know the state of your heart, but I know how I can be, and I want to ask you tonight, do you care? I'm not asking if the deacons of this church care. I'm not asking if Pastor Gordon cares. I'm not asking if President Biden cares or if Donald Trump cares. I'm asking, do you care? Do you care? We get lazy in our walk. We get lazy in our work. So often we just we back off, don't we? We back off, and there's so much that needs to be done, and sometimes that can be discouraging because there's just so much. And it's great to have a vision, but if we're not careful, sometimes it's like, Lord, I can't climb that mountain. We can't do it. We can't take it. And so it's easy when you're up against a seemingly insurmountable object to just say, "I don't know. I don't. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll take a." A different road. Maybe I'll back off a little bit. It's so easy to get lazy in our work, and I want to remind you: if you're not walking right, if I'm not walking right, we will not be working right. That's right. Everything in our life starts in the wo- the walk of our heart, the walk of our life. That's why the pro- the writer of Proverbs says, "Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life." That's right. It starts with the walk; it it affects or infects our work. I tell you something that burdens my heart. It burdens my heart to no end. My generation, uh, the younger the younger crowd, and not just my generation of age, but this generation of Christianity in general, we have a generation of lazy Christians. Right. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching about Christendom as a whole. We've got lazy Christians sitting in the pews. And and Lord have mercy on us, but I think some pulpits have gotten lazy too. Lazy Christians. Lazy workers in the field. We didn't pay any price to get here, so it means nothing to us. I didn't lay any money or blood or sweat down for this to happen, so preacher, why should I care? I didn't pay a price for the King James Bible to be sitting in my lap tonight, so why should I care to read it or not? I didn't pay a price to get here, so why do I care? There's a danger in that yes. if we're not careful yes. if we're not careful we see no need at times to work for it or to care for it I'm, I'm telling you our churches are getting grown over That's right. they're getting grown over we right. were talking about that this afternoon pastor so many churches somebody even used to stand for right and I could I could probably name ministries that all of us would know that I once stood for truth and now if they even exist they're nothing what they were or they've, went, they've changed and went a different progressive route they're not what they used to be. Because we're slacking off on the work. on the work. Thorns are closing in. An insurmountable object. Figure of desolation. Sometime, read, read the major prophets. And I'm telling you this, even, even today as I was driving down the road, the Lord hit my heart. I'm reading a book that a preacher wrote. Uh, the book is titled Before It's Too Late. It's out of the book of Lamentations. By what the nation of Israel was facing and the things that, that God, the judgment that God was pouring on them because of their neglect and them leaving what God had, had done for them. And I'm telling you, you read those major prophets and God describing what's going on in Israel, the judgment, it sounds like America. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. It's closing in. Do you feel it closing in? Do you see it? The nettles are springing up everywhere you look. I don't say what I said earlier about the, the ministries that have bro- broken down I don't say that out of pride or even joy pride. it breaks my heart yeah. we got to go We a few years back we got to go see the property of one of the, one of the greatest ministries that's ever existed in America and it's it no longer exists well it does exist today but it's a, a Pentecostal or something it's crazy it's something out there and we walked through that place and I was just in awe and I had seen pictures of that place in it's heyday and what God had done there and it broke my heart to see it sitting in shambles yep Listen, that could happen here if we, if we give up. That's right. That's right, that, that can happen in my spiritual life if I give up. That's right. We get lazy in our work sometimes. Don't, don't stop. Don't, don't back Amen. off. Amen. Don't quit. Yes. But it's just a little. I know, I know, it seems like a little, but if you're not careful, it'll turn into a lot. That's
1: right.
0: Our lack of work is neglecting the things that spoil from within. Listen, we're all made of the same stuff. We're all made of flesh and bone. Yep. From the dust we came, from the dust we'll return. Yep. Listen, you and I have the same propensity to sin, just like right. the wickedest man you can that's think right. of. Right. Man, I heard a preacher in New Jersey say it this way one time, a good friend of ours. He said, you know, I can mess up my life like nobody's business. And that's true. I've messed up my life a time or two. I've made bad decisions and I've let sin in my life. And I'm sure you are the same way. We know it can happen and I know that it's a possibility but do I care enough to stand for the integrity of my spiritual life so that God can use me in whatever way He wants? We get lazy or the folly comes in our watch. The Bible says the wall was broken down. And if you look around in our Baptist churches, and I'm not even talking about Catholic and Southern Baptist or what have you, I'm talking about independent, fundamental Baptist churches or churches that used to be this way. You know, we used to stand for some things, and we used to believe some things, but the walls are being broken down. It breaks my heart. We used to stand for some things and against other things. There used to be watchtowers and watchmen and and definite lines in the sand that I'm not going to cross or give up by the grace of God. And we used to shout to that and praise God, but now it it seems it's changed. There used to be people who really cared what happened in our churches and and really wanted to have godly, holy uh, homes and lives and families. Who really wanted to please God and, and raise godly children to serve God first and now we're chasing a dollar and we're chasing numbers and we're chasing everything the walls are being broken down some of them have been torn down from without but I I, I I, submit to you some of them have been torn down from within the walls are being broken down and you better believe there'll be a price to pay if we kept letting the walls get broken down in the name of Christian liberty, anything comes and anything goes. Go ahead. Yeah. 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 So the manuscript slides, the message slides, the music slides, yeah. what have you. I could go on and on and on. That's not my job to preach that. But the walls are being broken down. Do you see them? I know you see them where I used to see them. Yeah. Things I used to hear. I grew up hearing my daddy preach, and now we go to churches, and I think good night. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I hope you understand. But sometimes it's just, it is so breathtaking and awe-inspiring of how far we've come in some areas. And I'll I'll be the first to admit that I look at my life sometimes and I think, man, if I could walk walk with God like I did when I was 17, that'd be good. If I could, you know, have the touch of God on my life like I did that one time, walls broken down. I don't know much about your church, but I hope you're not letting the walls break down. Listen, I, I want to encourage you and I want to encourage your pastor. Your preacher has got a burden for this place of division. He can't do it by himself. That's right. That's right. As much as a preacher would love to, he can't keep the walls up of this place on his own. He needs help. That's right. That's right. You, you can't keep the walls up of your home alone. You need God's help. That's right. <laughs> the attitude that I just described that we're all guilty of at times, and the greater part of the church today, I think, is falling into this trap. Christian liberty, anything goes. Have it your way. Burger King mentality, if you will. That attitude always brought destruction to the children of Israel's life. Every time. Every time. Remember my dad preaching through the book of Judges when I was a kid. And he, he preached on a cycle of defeat the children of Israel had. Serve God, do great, God's blessing. And then they just, they stop and they turn into idol worship and they go a different way and, and they go, you know, a hungering after other things and strange gods and defeat, judgment, and heartbreak. Then they start, they come back to God over and over and over again. And I recognize that cycle in my life too often, so many times. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to stay here. I want to keep going on for God. And I want God's blessing on my life. And I know you feel the same way y'all been praying for revival. I want to live in a state of revival in my life. I don't know about you, I'm sick and tired of just going to church just to go to church. I'm sick and tired of checking off boxes Hey, I want church. Praise God. I'm a faithful church member. I'm sick and tired of that. I want God to work in my life and I want to go to church to meet with the King of Kings. Praise God. I want God to do a work in my heart because He knows what I need. When I go to church, man, I fight, I don't know about you, I fight my flesh so much just to even be there. I don't just want to come in there and plop on a pew and then grin and bear it. Man, if it's going to be that way, I would to stop going to church. I want God to meet with me and I want to hear from heaven. I want to to see the Spirit of God make a difference in my life and the life of others. I want to see souls saved and lives changed. I know know you feel the same way. It's evident because God's doing that here. Praise God. What a blessing that is. got to move on, but it'll bring destruction in our life if we don't watch it, if we don't do something about it. Again, I want to remind you, we know that though. We've heard it preached. We know that. I know that the Word of God is preached from this pulpit. I know that. So we know these things. But I want to ask you, do you care? Do you care enough to do something about it? Do you care enough to live for God? Man, i got I got to move on, preacher. I just read a book a few months ago called A Letter to the American Church. And the author of this book was comparing the current American church, and he was speaking in broad terms, the church in general, not just Baptists, but understand what he's speaking of, dumb, really in general. The state of the American Christian in 2023. And he was comparing it to the German church of the mid-1900s when World War II was going on, before, during the rule of Adolf Hitler. And he was talking about how the, the, the church in Germany of those days I can't remember the name of the preacher. I don't remember what denomination he was. But he saw where things were going. And he knew that if the church didn't stand for some things, that it would not end well. And he was preaching in in very well-known churches, thundering the truth and saying, the church has to stand or we're going to fall. He knew where this was going, the, the German church of those days, they didn't see it. They didn't believe it. And they said, we don't believe it. The German church of those days was very, very heavily political. And what church you went to affected your political status and your social status. And they would go to church. They, Oh, I go to that church because that's the big, you know, the big political church. And so they were very heavily influenced from the the, the uh, government of Germany. And so they didn't want to make waves or rock the boat. Does that sound familiar? And they didn't, they didn't think that's not something... That needs to be fought just, just be quiet we'll be fine the church will be fine and he kept preaching destruction is coming if we do not stand for some things right. at that time Adolf Hitler was, he wasn't much of anybody they didn't think it'd be anything important they didn't see any need to stand for anything he's crazy man nothing no, he doesn't seem well it started out he doesn't seem that bad then he started doing some th- crazy things and they were like oh that won't happen here don't worry about it and before they knew it you see what happened yeah. and the church fell in those days He's comparing America in these days to Germany in those days. And here's what he said that the Lord won't let me forget. He said the difference between the German church of the 1940s, 1930s, and the American church of the 2000s is that Germany did not have an example to see what would happen when the church remained silent. America does. We've seen it happen. When God's people hush. And let the world have their way. And we don't stand for anything, and we just let's just keep it our four and no more. Keep it in these four walls. We don't need to reach people. We don't need to stand against political things. Just, just you know, we love Jesus. We're going to go to heaven. We've seen what happens when that when, when happens when that's done. And he was calling on the American church to stand up and stand against the things that are going on in America today. Now, I'm not trying to get political. Really, my heart is for the church tonight. Amen. But listen, a stand has to be taken. That's It
1: right. That's right.
0: has to be taken. Let's move on. Number three, and I'm, we'll close. We have a field. There's a danger of folly, just like this man. Just like that man closed in on his fate, we are closing in on our fate. That's right. I don't want to discourage you tonight, but my, my goal, my heart for this message is that it would encourage you to say, you know what? I'm just going to get up. Amen. And I'm going to get on board. Praise Amen. God. Can I get a witness? I'm going to get on fire. Preacher said, I like what you said this afternoon. Some people get a little more God on them. Amen. I like that. Get a little more God in my life. Amen. And I'm going to decide, you know what? I'm going to be a little bit more sold out. And I'm going to push on a little bit farther. And I'm going to keep on reading and keep on witnessing and keep on singing and, and keep on serving. I'm going to keep on. I'm gonna, that's what I, I want to encourage you to do. So that God can bless your life and bless this church in a greater way, greater things. By the way, man, i got to stay focused. That's God's will for your life. You know, that greater joy and greater peace and greater things. That's what He wants for you. That's That's what He wants for me. Just as the poverty was the fate for this man, it will be the exact same ending for us if we follow the same formula. If we stop walking with God like he's called us to walk, if we stop working for God like he's called us to work, if we stop watching on the things like we should be watching, then eventually ruin will will be our despair. That will happen eventually. You're kidding yourself, and I'm kidding myself if, if I think that we can keep doing what we've been doing for these last 50 years and think that nothing's going to change. That's right. That's right. This, the fate comes slowly. Just a little, just a little. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Right. I don't want to get too specific, but you've seen as well as I have uh, a preacher or, or a church member or a ministry as a whole, just make small decisions and and small slides to the left. Just just little changes, small things. It wouldn't hurt us that bad, right? Well, I'm told that if NASA misses the calculations of flying to the moon by a fraction, a millionth of an inch, when they get to the moon, they'll miss it. Just a little thing. It couldn't be that bad, right? Well, a little here and a little there adds up way quicker than we think it does. I'm just not going to be quite as dedicated as I was 10 years ago. I'm just, you put the example in your life. Just a little, just a little. Couldn't be that bad. Well, it's a slippery slope, my friend. And if you're not careful and if I'm not careful, we'll find ourselves in a position we never thought we'd be in if we're not careful. I'm hurrying. It comes surely. Remember he said, as one that traveleth. As one that traveleth. We think that the consequences of our actions are so far off. They're so far away, and they're so far out there. And Like that one, I, can't, I forget what king it was, but the, the Lord delayed the judgment on his life to his children's life, and he said, you know what, that's okay. It's so far away, I think I won't have to deal with it, or I think that it won't bother me, it won't hinder me. But listen, we might be coming in closer than we think we are. That's right, true. Realistically, the consequences of our actions are knocking at the back door. Just waiting to be let in. We can live a less dedicated life now if we think we want to and think that it won't hurt us all we want. but well, that doesn't change the truth that you pay the price for your actions and so do I. We cannot keep doing the same things and hoping for a different end result. Won't happen. Will not happen. Will not. Will not. Will not. Will not. I've already said this, but the same formula brings the same result every time. And if we want to see God do something great here, and if I want to see God do something great in my life and I want to see God bless in a tremendous way, then I've got to change some things so that God can use me, so that I can be on fire for God what have you. Something has to change. It cometh strongly. It, preacher, it seems like, and I'm again not speaking of this church specifically, uh, but it seems like in Christianity as a whole, someone has come into our churches and held a gun to every church member's head and say make them vow, a vow that they will live a less dedicated life. And some days it seems like that, doesn't it? And some churches we go to, it just seems like, all right, man, we'll just let's just get through this thing. All right. And I hate to admit, some days it's like that in my life. I think, what in the world am I doing? Man, I don't want to live this way, but I'm here I am again, just trudging through life, and I want to have joy. You've been there, and it seems for the greater part, most of our churches are that way. Preacher calls a revival meeting and we take a big sigh. God starts working and we're like, man, whatever. We don't want our lives to be shaken or changed, right? Mm. It seems like we're living in the days of strong delusion. It really seems that yes. way. Yes. When the day, I want to I challenge you as I close. When the day comes that our decisions have caught up with us, it will be too late. That's right. Yes. True. Too late. This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting, Jesus told his disciples. They couldn't start fasting and praying on the spot and then call the demon out. There was a process that should have been taking place before the need arose. Right. Yeah. And I can't, God is not an emergency button in my life. Oh, God, things are, we need help. Do something. No, that's, that's not how this thing works. That's right. That's right. Something has to change in our life today so that God can bless us in a greater way tomorrow. That's right. I don't, let me, let me just, I'm going to cut through some things. I'm, I'm going to finish up. I, I do not believe that we have gone too far. I don't, if I believe that, I'd hang it up. I wouldn't. I wouldn't drive hours to come up here and sing and preach. I wouldn't. I mean, there's no point. If we're too far gone, then why put effort in it? We're done. I don't believe we're too far gone. I don't believe that. I've heard some preachers preach that way, and I think that's the most depressing thing I've ever heard. I don't believe we're too far gone. I, I believe God is still doing great things, and God can still do great work here. I believe that. I believe that with every fiber of my being, I believe God is not finished with us. I believe that God can still do great things today. I believe he hasn't changed one bit, don't you? I believe the same God that parted the waters for Moses is alive today. I believe the same God that used Paul can use us today. I believe that. I believe that. But if we don't change something, we could be close to going too far. If we don't do something about it, we might never have a chance again to do something. Hey, we're getting to the place in our life, you know as well as I do. There's no more, well, I'll, you know, when I get older, I'll serve God. Hey, we're, no, we're out of time, friend. That's right. Hey, that's hey right. redemption draweth nigh. We're getting close. That's if we're not going to do it now, we're not going to do it. That's right. yeah, that's right. So what do we do? We know this. We know this. I know that this is happening. I know what's happening in Israel, the Middle East, some crazy things, man. We're seeing some signs be fulfilled. By the way, we're not looking for signs. We're listening for the call. We're just waiting. That's
1: right. That's
0: right. But we do see things. And, it, and it's getting close, isn't it? Praise God, I'm looking forward to that. One day we're out of here. I know that, but do I care? Yeah. I see the state of my life in disrepair sometimes. Do I care? I hear, I hear the pastor plead, and our pastor does the same thing. Hey, we need more help in this area. We need, we need somebody to step up here and do this or whatnot. And I hear that, and I know there's a need, but do I care? The preacher calls a revival meeting and, and y'all have been praying and begging God. We've been praying with you. God, send us revival. Yes. Yes. Do you care? What do we do about it? Get a burden. Get a burden. Yes. Wake up. Get up. Get up. Right. Do something about it. Get a burden start building. Amen. They said, let us arise and build, Nehemiah said. Get up and do something for God. A burden will reveal itself through action. That's right. Through action. That's right. Something has to be done. And these days we need more dedication, not less dedication. We need more holiness, not less holiness. We need more fervor and more fire and more passion and more prayer and more reading and and more walk with God. Not less. Not less. We need more. Today's the day to put it in high gear, friend. I mean charge forward. Not back up. Not be conservative and, and hold on to our little crowd. No. Press forward, friend, and do something for the cause of Christ. Now's the time. Can you feel the thorns closing in? Can you see the nettles covering up? It's happening. By the grace of God, I don't want that to happen in my life. I don't want that to happen in your life. I'd love, if we're still here in 20 years, I'd love to hear, hey, you know that church down there in Myrtle Beach? And God's still blessing down there. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear God move it. God can turn the tide of wickedness in our country. You realize that? That's right. God can do the great things he's done before. But something has to happen. Something has to happen. All of this man's problems were self-inflicted problems. All of them were. He let it go. He let it go to waste. He could have fixed it, but he didn't. And the sad thing is, everything that he had was worth the effort it would have taken to make it worth it. But he neglected it. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Is not what we have worth it? Is this church not worth it? And your family and your Bible and your family, and all these things. We could go on and on. Is it not worth it to put in the effort and stand for God and get a hold of God in our life today in 2023? Is our country not worth it? Is God's blessing not worth it? It is worth it. It's worth it. This man's story is written and it's sealed forever. It's done. Done with. If you will, our story is still being written. Now it's not too late. I want to challenge you. Do something for the cause of Christ. Amen. Get in here with your preacher. Get in the trenches with him, man. Get grab a shovel. Get in beside him. Let's do something for God, friend. We're we're running out of time, and I don't. I hope I haven't come across like I'm saying this is happening. I don't want it to happen. So let's do something about it and beg God, seek His face, so that He can do great things again. A man in our church, with the Joe Chandler, one of my I'd say one of my best friends. He's a our song leader, adult Sunday school teacher, one of our trustees. He's a good man. I. Uh, He's a blessing to me. He's a little crazy, which I kind of like that. Helps me feel better about myself. One time, we have a prayer meeting every Saturday morning before visitation at 10 a.m. And we've kind of called it a revival prayer meeting, just praying for God to move again in our church and our nation. And one time he was praying this, and God has not let me forget it. In his prayer, he said this one time. He said, Lord, I think spiritual people will respond to a David, someone who just charges forward and gets something done. I'd say that hit me like a ton of bricks. Yes. I can't look around and say, well, this needs to be done and that needs to be done and that and that and that. Well, why don't I do something about it? That's right. Whenever someone steps up and goes for God, God will use that and God will That's bless right. them. Right. I hope the Lord's helped this to maybe be a challenge to you. I, I've been too long. I didn't mean to go this long, but I hope we'll stand up and do something for the cause of Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for, Lord, it's a living book and I thank you for the help you give us through your word, the examples you give us in the word of God but help us to learn more and help us to grow. I pray that uh, you take this feeble attempt at preaching and use it in your people's life and encourage us and challenge us, Lord. May your hand be on this invitation. Lord, let let us be obedient to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.